from Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. As we continue in our study of the book of Mark, and let's bow together in prayer and then we'll study the word of God together. Our Father, we thank you so much for your word, which is a light to our path, uh, guides us through life, guides us through the important things of life and what you have to say about them. Our hope, Lord, is to have ears that hear, eyes that see, and a heart to do your will. Thank you, Lord, for directing us in this way. Thank you for leaving us your incomparable, reliable, trustworthy word. And thank you for the salvation that we celebrate each day as we remember that your son Jesus took our place on the cross of Calvary, bore our sin in his sinless body. What a horror he must have gone through for us. All that, so that we might have the hope of eternal life, that we might become a part of your family and that we might pass from death to life. Lord, is there's even one here who has never put their trust in Christ, this service or the second service. They pray that they might, we pray that they might do it this day. Father, guide us as we study your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In chapter 4, verses 21 through 34 of the book of Mark, we are continuing with the study of, of uh, Jesus' parables. Mark gives us several more parables in this section of scripture and they are called parables of the kingdom and we'll kind of try to explain that phrase in uh, in a moment but the thing that we need to remember from this passage is we should keep working for God for his kingdom is growing we should not be discouraged it's so easy to become discouraged it's so easy to wonder, what is it all about? It's so easy to wonder, is anybody listening? We share our faith with those around us, and sometimes we so, see so few results. And what Mark is trying to do for the uh, disciples is to encourage them to keep on working, to encourage them to keep on sowing the seed, to encourage them to keep on sharing their faith in Jesus Christ, sharing the one who can give them eternal life. And so that's what we're doing as we go through these parables. That's what we are doing as we go through this teaching from the book of Mark. Now, the passage divides into three sections. There is the parable of the lamp in chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. Now, there, there are many who believe that rather than being a separate parable, that this was a continuation of Jesus' explanation of the parable of the seeds that we studied last week. Uh, it could be a continuation, but this parable of the lamp is seen many times in Jesus' teaching, not just here in Mark, but in the other Gospels. And these seem to be parables that Jesus often used to explain to his disciples, well, what has happened to the kingdom? The nation of Israel, the leaders of Israel, have rejected Jesus Christ, their Messiah, 
the people of Israel are rejecting Jesus Christ, their Messiah. Well, what's going to happen to the kingdom? Because Messiah is supposed to bring in the kingdom. So what's going to happen to the kingdom? And so these parables are meant to explain that. So we have the parable of the lamp in chapter 4, verses 21 to 25. The parable of the growing seed in chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. And the parable of the mustard seed in chapter 4, verses 30 to 35. The parable of the lamp, the parable of the growing seed, and the parable of the mustard seed. Now, we're told in this passage that if you look at chapter 4 and verse 26, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And then again in chapter 4 and verse 30, again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? So the question that should come to mind is, what is the kingdom that he's talking about? What is the kingdom? Now, the, from the Old Testament, the Jews expected the millennial kingdom, what we call the millennial kingdom. They expected the Davidic kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. But the Messiah who would bring in the kingdom is being rejected. So what happens now? What happens now? And these parables are meant to answer that. Uh, there's an author, uh, a Bible uh, scholar by the name of J. Dwight Pentecost that has done a magnificent job in his book, The Words and Works of Jesus Christ, explaining what is going on here. So I'd like to use his words and share with you what he says so that we can understand what is the time period Jesus is talking about. What is he trying to explain to these disciples if the kingdom of God is delayed? the millennial kingdom, the Davidic kingdom, if that is delayed, then what, what's going on? Is anything happening? Is God doing something today? We're not in the kingdom. The millennial kingdom has been delayed. The Messiah has been rejected by the Jews and by the leadership of the Jews. Already in the book of Mark, the leadership of the Jews has decided that instead of accepting Christ, they've got to put, get rid of him. They've got to kill him. So the question is, what happens now? What, what is this time period? Well, let me share with you some things that Pentecost says. Christ, through the course of his ministry, has offered himself to the nation as Savior and Sovereign. The nation had had that offer authenticated before them by the miracles which Christ performed. In other words, there was no question when they looked at Jesus' ministry, when they looked at his teaching, when they looked at the miracles that he did, the authority he had over so many areas, uh, there's no question that his was the legitimate offer of Messiahship. The nation had that authenticated. The nation was called on to respond to the evidence prevented, except, excuse me, presented. The leaders had already indicated their purpose to reject the person of Christ and to discount his miracles because they believed his miracles were done by Satan's power. That was where everything turned when the leaders of the nation of Israel were blaming, were, were uh, we're giving credit to Satan for, for Jesus, the Messiah's miracles. And that was the turning point when they rejected him. Christ had no further word for those who had rejected and spurned him and who had persisted in their unbelief. 
On the other hand, some had believed his word and accepted his purpose, and these needed instruction. That is the purpose of these parables, to to instruct those who had accepted him, who had accepted his word, who did realize that he was the Messiah being offered to them, God incarnate. Pentecost says he constructed his teaching in such a way that those who had believed would understand and those who had rejected, even though they heard, would not understand. In other words, believers would understand his teaching, unbelievers would not. They would not. You had to have faith. Faith was the key to understanding Jesus' teaching. As, the, as Pentecost went on, believers have the key to knowledge and can interpret his teaching. Unbelievers do not possess that key and therefore they cannot understand his word. Well, the Old Testament had clearly spoken of the millennial kingdom, had clearly spoken of the eschatological kingdom of David, and they had clearly spoken about that. The nation of Israel awaited the coming of Messiah who would fulfill these eternal and unconditional covenants Messiah would redeem God's people from their sins, deliver them from their bondage, the bondage of their oppressors, and institute a kingdom in which he would rule in peace and righteousness. Such was Israel's hope. However, however, the leaders of the nation consistently and persistently rejected Christ's word and his purpose. That rejection culminated in the response of the leaders to the miracle of healing the demon-possessed man in Matthew 12. On that occasion, the rejection by the leaders then warned the people, uh, excuse me, the rejection by the leaders was indicated by their claim that Christ received his power from Satan. Christ then warned the people against following that interpretation, noting that if the nation persisted in its rejection, it would come under temporal judgment. Christ set aside the nation those related to him by blood and declared he would accept only those who were related to him by faith. The fate of the nation was sealed. In other words, the people of Israel, the leaders of Israel had rejected their Messiah and thus they had rejected the kingdom. So the question is, what happens now? What happens now? As Pentecost said, the following questions arise. What then happens to God's kingdom of which the Davidic millennial millennial kingdom on earth is only an earthly form in this present age when the millennial kingdom is postponed? In other words, how's God working today? Is God working today? What is he doing today? And what does that have to do with you and me? Those are the questions that Jesus is trying to answer Pentecost goes on, what form does the kingdom take in this present age? What are the essential characteristics or features of the kingdom in this present age? The Old Testament had not revealed that an entire age would intervene between between the offer of the kingdom by the Messiah and Israel's reception of the king and enjoyment of the full kingdom blessings. In other words, they did not envision that there would be this period of time between Jesus' first coming and second coming, this period of time which includes what we are in right now, which is the church age. This period of time between the first and second comings is the church age. How is God working 
in this age? How is God working in this age? What is expected of you? What is expected of me during this age? And that's what these parables are meant to teach. That is what these parables are meant to explain. As one writer said, the meaning of these parables is this. What is the nature of God's present work in the world? What is the nature of God's present work in the world? Well, let's look at the first of these three parables, the parable of the lamp in verses 21 through 25 of chapter 4. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you measure, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from them. The thing we see here in the parable of the lamp in verses 21 to 23 is we have a responsibility to share our faith. We have a responsibility to, to share and spread the word of God, the seed, the word of God. That is our responsibility, a responsibility to speak up for Jesus Christ, a responsibility to speak up for Jesus Christ. In verses 24 through 21, we're, uh, excuse me, 24 through 25, we're told that we have a responsibility not only to speak up, not only to share, but we have a responsibility to hear God's word. We have a responsibility. So what should we be doing during this period of time, during this age in which we live? What is it that you and I should be doing? According to this parable, we should be sharing the word of God, sharing the seed of God with those about us, we should be listening to God's word ourselves and growing in God's word. And that's our responsibility in this age. Now, interestingly enough, this verse 21 can literally be translated this way. Does the lamp ever come to put it under a bed, bowl or a bed? Does the lamp, now I want you to underline in your Bible, the word a, because the translators of the NIV translated it, do you bring in a lamp? In Greek, there is a definite article there. In other words, in Greek, it literally says, do you bring in the lamp? Now, what do you think, what difference do you think that makes, the difference between a lamp and the lamp? Well, the lamp could be a reference to who or what? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. John did a fantastic job in his gospel of doing an exposition of Jesus Christ as the light. Jesus Christ as the light of God. Jesus Christ as the light come into the world to give light. And so therefore, there are many who believe that in this parable, when it says, he said to them, do you bring in a lamp? It's not a lamp. It is definite. It is, do you bring in the lamp? Do you bring in the lamp? 
to put it under a bowl or a bed. Now, the other night, we had storms coming through Del Rio. You guys probably remember those. Maybe you were hit by them. Uh, it was happening right about the time Kathy and I were going to bed. So the, first, so the thing that she said to me as we're going to bed is, do you have a flashlight handy? Have you put out a flashlight? She said, I put out my flashlight. Have you put out your flashlight? What is the use of a lamp or a flashlight? It is to provide light. We were afraid the electricity would go off and we would need a, a, a lamp to get around. Well, the same, the, the point here is that you don't bring a lamp in and then hide it. You don't bring the light in and then hide it by putting a bowl over it, by putting a bed over it. You don't hide light, you shine forth the light. We have a responsibility to shine forth the light. The light has come into the world. Light has come into the world. That's what John says in John chapter 1. And during this time, before the second coming of Jesus Christ, during this time before the millennial kingdom is set up, which has been set aside because of the rejection of Christ, you and I need to be sharing the seed of the word of God, which brings light to people which brings the light to people. The bowl here, by the way, in this passage, do you bring in the lamp to put it under a bowl? The bowl here is a basket, uh, something about the size of a peck. The bed here is a couch for reclining at banquets. Um, it's the kind that was used, for instance, at the what we call the Last Supper. Uh, the kind that was used in many of the banquets that we read about in the Gospels. Does, do you bring in the lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, and by the way, those, those things, the bowl and the bed, are references to hindrances to sharing the word of God. Re uh, references to hindrances to sharing the word of God. So many times you and I neglect sharing the word of God because of material things, because of the cares of this world. You and I neglect sharing the word of God with those around us. Uh, the idea of the couch is the idea of ease and comfort. And sometimes it's ease in our lives. It's the desire for ease, the desire for, com for comfort that keeps us from sharing the word of God with those around us, keeps us from sharing the seed of the world of, around us. Do you bring in the lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, uh, literally, listen up. Listen up is the idea here. So, the meaning here is that the kingdom is hidden and concealed. The kingdom is hidden and concealed, but it's meant to be disclosed. It's meant to be brought out into the open. They were not meant to keep the secrets of the kingdom. Remember, Jesus said to them in our passage last week, it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom 
that, that is not something mysterious, but something that was not previously revealed, but is now being revealed. They were not meant, Jesus' disciples were not meant to keep the secrets of the kingdom, but to share what they were told, to make known what Jesus was telling them. That's their job. That's the job of a disciple. That's your job and my job. These passages are not just for the people of Jesus' day, not just for the disciples around him at that time. These passages are for you and for me to instruct us during this age while we wait for the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We aren't meant to keep the secrets of the kingdom. We don't take the light of the truth of God and hide hide it under a bowl or under a bed. We make known what Jesus was telling them. In Acts chapter 4, verses 18 to 20, the, the, the uh, apostles were told, don't preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And they said, who are we supposed to listen to? You are God. God told us to speak and to share. So they were to make known what Jesus was telling them. So you and I have a responsibility to share. We have a responsibility to share. But there's another responsibility that we see in verses 24 and 25. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you measure, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. There's not only the responsibility to share, there's the responsibility to hear. We should hear and respond in belief. What we get out of the Word of God is determined by what we put into the Word of God. The more that one listens to the Word of Jesus with spiritual perception, the more the truth about Jesus will be revealed. In other words, the more you and I approach the Word of God, the more you and I read the Word of God, study the Word of God, listen to the Word of God, uh, listen to explanations about the Word of God, we more, the more we do that, the more truth about Jesus will be revealed. The more truth about Jesus will be, re will be re revealed. Disobedience and rejection, on the other hand, of God's word will lead to rejection by God. Disobedience and rejection of Jesus' words will lead to rejection by God. So what do we have here in this first parable, the parable of the lamp? Jesus himself is the light. Jesus himself is the light. We are to shine forth in testimony despite the cares and material things of life, putting aside ease and comfort, both of which can hinder our testimony, and we must share what we have learned about our Savior Jesus Christ. Now, Leroy Imes, whom uh, I enjoy reading his daily discipleship book, uh, he has said this uh, and, and offered a caution here. He said, I know some people who feel that Christian ministry is the job of the pastor and the paid church staff. The rest of us are like spectators in the bleachers. We cheer on the team, but we don't play the game. 
that is a wrong view of the ministry. And in fact, one of the core points that, uh, that drive our church is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, where, where we are told that God has gifted some people so that they might prepare the church for works of service. See, that's the job of the staff. That's why we have staff. That's why we have pastoral staff. It's, it's a core value of this church, of Del Rio Bible Church, is that the staff prepares the people to share the word of God with those around them. Uh, it is not true that it's the job of the pastor and the paid church staff. Uh, in fact, I tell you the truth. Sometimes, well, I hope I'm always telling you the truth. <laughs> Don't you hate that phrase? It just kind of rolls out of your tongue like, and, it, and immediately somebody has to, do you mean you don't tell us the truth sometimes? Uh, I think you have a much easier job of sowing the seed than a pastor does. As soon as, I, I have to laugh, and I've been in the ministry a long time now, uh, but as soon as somebody finds out you're a pastor, their demeanor changes immediately. Uh, it's, it's a little less today than it used to be maybe 20 or 30 years ago, but their demeanor changes. Their language suddenly gets really nice. Uh, and, uh, and the possibility of any communication is shut off. It really is. The possibility of any communication is shut off. That's why... The ministry is yours. You have a much easier job than a pastor does to spread the word of God because a wall goes up. I, I remember a pastor I heard years ago who said it really, this whole concept of, of uh, as soon as he tells somebody he's a pastor, their demeanor changes, everything changes. He, he said he decided to, to not introduce himself as a pastor but as a shepherd. So when somebody would say, what do you do? You say, I'm a shepherd. Well, that didn't make things any better. <laughs> You're a shepherd? I didn't even know we had shepherds today. <laughs> so uh, I think there's, there's um, a good lesson here and a good caution. The ministry belongs to you. And according to Jesus' parable, he is saying that it is the responsibility of every believer to share the word of God, to learn the word of God, to respond in obedience to the word of God. Because as you and I respond in obedience to the word of God, more and more is revealed to us. Another way to say it is this, spiritual prosperity requires spiritual investment. Spiritual fitness requires spiritual exercise. Let me say that again. Spiritual prosperity requires spiritual involvement. Spiritual fitness requires spiritual exercise. One writer said, The man who makes rapid progress in spiritual attainments, who grows visibly in grace and knowledge and strength and usefulness, will always be found to be a diligent man or woman, he leaves or she leaves no stone unturned to promote their soul's well-being. They are diligent over, Bible, over their Bible, diligent in private devotions, diligent as a hearer of sermons, 
and reaps according to the way they sow. Just as the muscles of the body are strengthened by regular exercise, so are the graces of the soul increased by diligence in using them. Do we wish to grow in grace? Do we desire to have stronger faith, brighter hope, and clearer knowledge? Then let us live up fully to the light that we have and use every opportunity God gives us. I think it shouldn't take much convincing for us to realize that spiritual fitness requires spiritual exercise. The problem is I'm not the greatest example of that uh, to, to show you. I mean, of uh, that maybe, but not physical exercise. Physical, uh, physical fitness requires physical exercise is what I'm trying to say. And uh, I would not be the greatest example of that. Uh, but it's interesting, there was a period of my life when I was in fantastic physical shape. Many, many years ago now, it was during my second year of seminary, I had a friend uh, who said, let's go use the great Nautilus equipment that the seminary has purchased for us. And so we went several days a week and we would exercise and help each other exercise. That particular uh, first sun summer of my time in seminary, I had three jobs. Uh, I worked at Firestone Tire. Uh, we were reclaiming those. Those of you who are older may remember all the recalls back in that day. And uh, we had to handle these groups of tires. I can't believe it now. I couldn't even budge them today. But we would stack the tires 10 or 12 high on these carts that we had. And we'd have to move them around the warehouse and, and get them prepared to be sent back to Firestone. So I worked at Firestone. I was uh, cleaning pools, and I was really good at it. I just couldn't make any money <laughs> because it would take me twice as long as any of the other pool cleaners to do the job, and I was being paid by pool. People loved me. When I left the pool, it was spotless, not a leaf in the water. But, but uh, I couldn't make any money at that. And then I was cleaning a medical clinic overnight. Uh, and to put the cherry on the Sunday, I was dating Kathy at the same time. <laughs> so uh, I was in great physical shape. I was as light as I've ever been since the day I was born. <laughs> uh, so, so physical fitness requires physical exercise. And even as that, as that is the case, Spiritual fitness requires spiritual exercise. Well, as one writer said, those who respond to the truth receive more. Those who don't lose what they had. What a warning. Those who respond to the truth receive more. Those who don't lose what they had. And another writer said, it is a law of the kingdom that to him who uses well what he has more will be imparted and he who has nothing but an empty profession will at last be stripped even of that so it's an important concept the more that we learn the more that we get out of something is determined by what we put into it so we have a responsibility to share 
and we have a responsibility to hear. The second parable is the growing seed in verses 26 to 29. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest had come. This parable is unique to Mark. The point is this, as we share God's word, God's word does its work. As we share God's word, God's word does its work. That's the point of the parable. There are three stages here. There's the sowing stage. The, the kingdom is extended by the sowing of seed. However, the power is in the seed itself, not in your ability or my ability to spread the seed or to explain the seed or anything. It grows because it has power in itself, just as a seed has power. It's the most amazing thing. Kathy is a fantastic gardener. Many of you are gardeners. It's an amazing thing to take a seed, stick it in the ground, uh, the uh, proper ground, water it, and all of a sudden you see a, a stalk or a stem coming up out of the ground. How did that happen? How did that come out of that tiny little seed? And then after that you see some leaves, and after that you see some flowers, and after that the flower turns into a, a tomato or a green pepper or whatever it is you may have uh, planted. How does that happen? The power is in the seed. The power is in the seed. You see, the power is in the seed of the Word of God. The power is the seed. Your job is to plant it. That's it. That's it! Is that hard? I don't think so. My job is to plant it. Your job is to plant it. We're to, there's the sowing. The kingdom is extended by sowing the seed. There's the second stage. The sower goes about his duties, the seed germinates, it sprouts, and it grows in a way that he doesn't even know. The Word of God is like that. It does its work in human hearts. Third stage is the harvest. The present, that's the time of judgment. The present hiddenness of the kingdom will be succeeded by its glorious manifestation. The present hiddenness of the kingdom will be succeeded by its glorious manifestation. That leads us to the last parable, the mustard seed, verse 30. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. The seed, the mustard seed, is not the smallest seed that there is. Jesus was using the mustard seed as an example of the smallest seed in Palestine at that time, which was the mustard seed. It was about the size of the head of a pin, uh, but it started out so small, yet it grew to 10 to 12 feet high in a short time, and its branches were the size of a man's arm. 
What is Jesus trying to tell us here? Jesus is trying to contrast the insignificant, enigmatic, and weak beginning of God's kingdom, which is embodied in the presence of Jesus. Remember the first time he came in what? In weakness. He came in weakness. But one day the kingdom will be great and powerful with a greatness that will surpass all kingdoms in power and glory. A kingdom that will surpass all kingdoms. That's what's coming. That's what's coming. People can overlook Jesus. They can overlook him because he started out in weakness. But one day he's coming in glory. And his kingdom will be great. Well, so much more could be said. But the closing verse, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as he could understand, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Jesus suited his message to his hearers. Harry Ironside said this, Jesus never sought to charm or allure by great swelling words. Parables are veiled communication forms requiring active listening and the desire to understand. The kingdom of God was so different from the prevailing notions that the parables would dislodge those ideas. The nature of the kingdom was declared by comparison rather than definition. Well, let's close with this. Through faith, Warren Wearsby said, through faith in Jesus Christ, we become citizens of the heavenly nation, children in God's family, and subjects of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What a privilege it is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's remember our responsibility to share, speak for him, the responsibility to listen to him, the need to sow the seed and to realize that the seed may be start out weak, but it grows to greatness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these parables that encourage us to continue the work of sharing your word with those around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.